Hello and welcome to this sixth episode of Pain TV. My name is Perry Fine, Professor of Anesthesiology and Attending Physician at the Pain Management Center at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, and your host to this series of programs focusing on managing chronic pain in primary care. In this episode, we'll explore how certain patient factors can affect your selection of appropriate pain treatments. Here with us to share his thoughts on a biopsychosocial approach to patient selection for different treatments is my colleague, Dr. Glenn Treisman, Professor of Psychiatry and Professor of Medicine at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and Director of AIDS Psychiatry Service at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. Despite major advances in medicine, management of chronic pain remains inadequate. Ideally, chronic pain should be cured or relieved completely, but this is often not possible. Because of the chronicity and limited awareness of the difference between the nature of acute and chronic pain, it remains under-recognized and under-treated. Unlike acute pain, which resolves with treatment of the underlying illness or injury, chronic pain is complex. It results from a multifactorial dysregulation of various systems involved in the processing of pain. Chronic pain defies easy categorization as neuropathic, central or peripheral, or nociceptive, in that these categories often overlap, particularly in those patients refractory to treatment. The management of chronic pain is further complicated by psychiatric and medical comorbidities that make it difficult to treat and generate frustration and pessimism on the part of the physicians. For these reasons, chronic pain should be viewed within the biopsychosocial interdisciplinary framework. This approach considers each patient's unique biological or genetic makeup, physical or psychiatric conditions, and family and social factors as key to effective pain management. Numerous pharmacological and non-pharmacological approaches are used to treat chronic pain, including medication with non-opioids and when appropriate with opioids, regional anesthetic interventions, surgery, behavioral therapy, rehabilitation and physical therapy, and complementary and alternative medicine. Whatever modality is chosen, treatment must be matched not only to the type of pain, but also to the type of patient as a whole person. The treatment of chronic pain demands a highly individualized approach and it's difficult to predict which treatment or combination of treatments will work most effectively. Most chronic pain can greatly improve with appropriately selected, individually targeted pain management, even though the patient may have to try several different treatments before finding one that works best. How do you individualize treatment? Here are some factors that suggest a patient will do well with procedural interventions and perhaps opioids. A high level of function before pain onset, determination to return to a previous level of function, stable psychosocial situation, evidence of high function in other areas of life, continued function after pain onset, not seeking disability, and no history of addiction. Factors such as psychosocial instability, limited function, or history of substance use suggest the need for a more integrated, structured approach to pain management. Chronic pain is amplified by sensory isolation, inactivity, idle time, sympathetic activation, and major depression. Patients who successfully engage in rehabilitation and non-opiate approaches to pain reduction need powerful motivation to work through the discomfort of physical therapy, trials of medication, and the delayed gratification of non-pharmacologic interventions. Listed here are some behavioral reinforcers that motivate patients to engage in healing therapies. For example, a patient with a high-paying job, great self-image, and a happy marriage has a strong incentive to heal. While these factors do not directly reduce pain, no amount of romance can heal damaged nerves. These factors increase the motivation to engage in physical therapy and to tolerate the discomfort of rehabilitation. There are also disincentives to getting better, behavioral reinforcers of chronic symptoms. These include disability payments, 
attention from spouses, family, doctor, and lawyers, the ability to express feelings with no holds barred, possibility of lump sum payments, relief from stress, expectations, and criticism, and the relief from pain or discomfort. Damaged nerves such as neuropathy and absent nerve signals such as phantom limb pain can result in amplified or suppressed pain. There are a variety of behavioral interventions like physical and occupational therapy and massage as well as non-opiate medications and medication trials that all require behavioral engagement by patients. Thinking in a behavioral way helps explain why these factors have been shown to delay recovery and amplify dysfunction. In behavioral conditioning models, both classic like Pavlovian and operant like Skinnerian, the delivery of a reward like disability payments serves to encourage behaviors associated with pain. For example, although patients believe they can always go back to work after a time, they are less inclined to do so once they start receiving payments for being ill. Behavioral conditioning in the form of positive reinforcers for chronic symptoms can also amplify abnormal illness behavior in patients whose degree of chronic pain cannot be explained physiologically. Unfortunately, the same factors that amplify abnormal illness behavior also increase the vulnerability to addiction. Sadly, patients are not alone in being influenced by behavioral factors. As clinicians, we may also be behaviorally reinforced to reward dependent and disability-related behaviors inadvertently. Well-meaning doctors may help patients without insurance obtain disability status so they can access resources for hospital and medical benefits. Financial efficiency standards incentivize short patient visits that encourage symptom rather than diagnosis-directed treatment. Practicing problem-focused medicine saves money but directs attention away from seeing the whole patient. The practice of algorithmic medicine, out of fear of lawsuits and criticism, sometimes replaces individualized treatment planning with one-size-fits-all guideline-based recipes for care. In their desire to satisfy patients, to minimize complaints, doctors may give patients too much autonomy in choosing medications, thereby abdicating rational strategic planning for rehabilitation. By giving patients what they want, the doctor may feel he can ensure patient compliance and retain the patient. The fad of referring to pain as a vital sign encourages linear assessment of pain severity, using things such as a visual analog scale, as opposed to comprehensive assessment of the type of pain quality, location, mitigating and exacerbating features. There's a substantial literature that shows that social factors, cognitive factors, and emotional factors all influence pain. There are several short practical assessment tools that attempt to measure these factors, including the global pain scale. This scale measures more of the whole patient view of pain. As many as 40 to 50% of people with chronic pain have a mood disorder such as major depression or bipolar disorder, although a clear-cut cause-effect relationship has not been established. Cognitive impairment and substance abuse complicate the diagnosis and treatment of both depression and chronic pain and predict poor response to treatment unless addressed directly in the care plan. Depression and chronic pain often go hand in hand, so closely linked that differential diagnosis is difficult. In one study, 56% of patients with disabling chronic pain had a coexisting major depressive disorder. Comorbid depression amplifies chronic pain. It diminishes the impact of positive reinforcers, interferes with cognition and pain suppression, increases sensitivity to pain, increases the likelihood a stimulus will be perceived as painful, and enhances the risk of addiction. Patients with chronic pain are frequently depressed, partly because of the psychological elements of their condition, including losses in their lives, suffering from their pain, and frustration with not getting a clear response from their doctors. They also have high rates of mood disorders, such as major depression, and it can be extremely hard to tease apart the psychologically caused depression, which I refer to as demoralization, and mood disorders, such as major depression. 
when diagnosis is difficult, it is sometimes best to treat both conditions simultaneously until the diagnosis becomes clear. Beyond depression, psychiatric conditions such as addiction compromise treatment outcomes. Substance users with chronic pain conditions are less likely to experience improvements in pain or function. Comorbid substance use also negatively influences physician decision-making about eligibility for surgery, prescription of medications with abuse potential, and high-tech interventions requiring long-term follow-up. A link between chronic pain and cognitive impairment exists. Pain-related alterations in cognition include impaired attentional, executive, and general cognitive functions. In aging men, chronic pain has been associated with slower psychomotor processing speed. Although the precise cause-effect between chronic pain and these comorbidities is unclear, one thing is certain. Psychiatric disorders, addiction, and cognitive impairment promote a vicious cycle of psychosocial problems and demoralization that frustrate both patients and doctors. Chronic pain, particularly neuropathic pain, is notoriously difficult to treat. The major non-narcotic drug classes used frequently for the treatment of chronic pain are listed here. Recommended first-line agents include tricyclics, NSRIs, and anticonvulsants. Opioids are usually reserved for second-line therapy. Antidepressants, prescribed for pain control since the 1960s, offer two-for-one efficacy for patients whose chronic pain is complicated by psychiatric comorbidities. Tricyclics are effective for both many forms of chronic pain and the treatment of depression, a common comorbidity. However, it can take six to eight weeks for these drugs to take effect. The SNRIs have been shown to be effective in diabetic peripheral neuropathy, major depressive disorder, and generalized anxiety disorder. Benlafaxine effectively treats diabetic peripheral neuropathy and polyneuropathies as well as depression. Anticonvulsants may be effective in the treatment of trigeminal neuralgia, diabetic neuropathy, postherpetic neuralgia, neuroma, multiple sclerosis, and migraine. Note that gabapentin takes two months to achieve full efficacy, but pregabalin may be faster acting. Nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, including over-the-counter drugs, also may play a role in chronic pain management, particularly if there's an inflammatory component to the patient's pain. Some antihypertensive drugs, such as clonidine, have found wider use in the treatment of neuropathic pain and headaches and can be used in combination with other analgesics, like opiates, to increase efficacy. Capsaicin is helpful for patients with painful diabetic neuropathy, postherpetic neuralgia, and neuroma. Controversy surrounds the use of opioid therapy for non-cancer chronic pain due to the potential for misuse and addiction. Yet, appropriately selected patients who failed trials with other analgesics can benefit from chronic opioid therapy. A 35-year-old patient with chronic disabling pain from rheumatoid arthritis who has no personal or family history of substance use might be an ideal candidate for chronic opioid therapy whereas a 35-year-old patient with fibromyalgia and chronic disability, as well as a history of IV drug use and alcoholism, is much less likely to be a good candidate. Most patients fall somewhere between these two extremes, and, with careful assessment, physicians can characterize risk and structure care to match it. Selection begins with a comprehensive risk-benefit assessment to troubleshoot the risks of misuse, abuse, or addiction. Useful tools to help with the risk stratification include version 1 and the revised version, of the screener and opioid assessment for patients with pain, known as the SOAPP, the Opioid Risk Tool, or ORT, and the DIRE instrument, which stands for Diagnosis, Intractability, Risk, and Efficacy. Opiates are reinforcing. This means that any behavior that results in getting opiates tends to increase. The process is unconscious, and patients are unaware that the opiates are changing their behavior. I always discuss this with patients and enlist them in avoiding addictive behaviors. 
For patients at high risk for opioid misuse, it's useful to provide clear written guidelines to reinforce expectations about appropriate and safe opiate use. Periodic drug screens, including a urine sample, can confirm whether patients are taking their medication and if they are taking medications that might confound their treatment. All patients on chronic opioid therapy should be periodically reassessed and monitored for changes in pain, comorbidities, and psychological and social status. The patient may appear fine, but any patient identified as having a substance use disorder should receive treatment for this comorbidity. In conclusion, a comprehensive approach to chronic pain necessitates appreciation of a biopsychosocial behaviorist methodology. The goal of treatment is to lessen pain and restore function through an individualized comprehensive treatment program. We are all economically pressed to take care of patients faster and cheaper, but patients with chronic pain have a huge cost when they are poorly treated and become progressively more disabled and dependent. Individualized evaluation, careful treatment planning, and a view of the whole patient needs to become the standard approach to our patients. We hope you found this informative and helpful. As you manage patients with chronic pain, we hope you'll consider the variety of factors that can influence their pain and the response to treatment. In the next episode, Dr. Glenn Treisman will discuss communicating with patients, setting realistic treatment goals, and educating patients about safe drug use. To proceed to the online CME test, click on the Earn CME credit link on this page. Please also take a few moments to complete a few post-assessment questions to help us measure the educational impact of this activity. Please check back to view future episodes of Pain TV, and thank you for watching this program.